This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. This is Isaac Simpson. Today I have with me mega superstar Oren McIntyre. Thank for thank you for being here. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So you are a huge, huge name in our space, obviously. Um, you know, an idol, a, a leader for all of us to follow your model. You um, I think had your own YouTube channel for a while and then Became, and you were very based, very insightful, really kind of, I would say, delivering the Yarvinian and the based frog Twitter message to the masses, perhaps. Uh, do you think that's accurate? Yeah, no, uh, I appreciate it. I, I, it's still weird. You know, I was, uh, it wasn't very long ago that I had, you know, a thousand Twitter followers or something like that. And it, so it's still strange to, you know, to feel like that's anything that, that that's changed significantly. But yeah, no, I, I started the channel because I was reading people like uh, Yarvin and, and Nick Land and whatnot and just was like, hey, you know, I'll start explaining what I'm learning. And, you know, things got bigger. So. So how did you grow your audience? I mean, I, I was going to ask that later because I don't, you know, there's other stuff I want to ask you. But how did like what was the. I know that you come from a military background. That's pretty much all I know. <laughs> well, I, I I'm not. My dad was your dad was military, yeah, and my my I was so I was a, grew up as a military brat because we moved on, you know, lived on Air Force bases my whole childhood and stuff like that. Um, but but I don't know. It was it's. I have people ask me all the time, like, how do you make your YouTube bigger? How do you make your Twitter bigger? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> which isn't entirely true. Like I figured out things that worked, but it was a lot of A/B testing. It's not like I sat down with a plan of like. Oh, you know, 10 steps to make your Twitter blow up or something. It, it was a lot of trial and error. I, I started by doing a mixture of video essays and interviews, which I think was key because the interviews allow you to cross over with a lot of people who have larger audiences. Uh, and so if you have a good conversation with them, more people want to have a conversation with you and that kind of thing. So so I think that was that was a big part of it. And then Twitter, uh, even though I had no idea about Twitter until I really did the YouTube thing and people were like, oh, you should put your, your stuff on Twitter so people can find it. Uh, that that it obviously ended up being my largest platform. Um, and, and that just came from, I guess, having a journalistic background and being used to you know, condensing things into short bursts. And that allowed me to kind of put out larger concepts or things that seem that were fresh takes for most mainstream people in into something that was bite-sized and wasn't you know wasn't uh open-minded you know open letter to, to open-minded progressives or something uh you know and and you didn't have to do 400 pages to, to kind of figure it out and so uh and so a lot of people started retweeting me mainstream guys started catching my stuff and, and that's really what what drove growth i think yeah, you. Uh, I feel like the transition from YouTube to Twitter is like a little bit easier than the Twitter. The the transition from Twitter to YouTube, yeah. it's like I, YouTube. You really, it's like uh, you got to know the angles there. I feel like. Yeah, and and again, I, it's not like I had any kind of 
great understanding of how to play a YouTube game. I was mainly making video essays because all the guys I liked watching, like the distributist made yeah. video essays. And I thought, oh, okay, well, explaining stuff is something that I'm relatively good at. So I could do this. I could I could fill in these gaps that hadn't been kind of kind of reached in some of that that area. And then, like I said, people seem to enjoy a lot of the the conversational aspect uh, of the interviews and those kind of things. And so that kind of grew into a rhythm of you know uh, a mixture of content that I think did better than probably me dedicating myself to to one form. Uh, and that's kind of what the larger show has now grown grown into. Yeah, I'm totally not a YouTuber, but these video essays that you do and Distributus does are so great. They're like the best thing to watch on the plane ever for some <laughs> reason. I love watching them on the plane. Uh, your one that you just did, which was actually, I don't know if it had a lot of cutting in it, but it was about Trump, uh, the one you just recorded. Uh, was that a, Is that technically a video essay? It was like 45 minutes long. I just listened to it. So it's it's interesting now because you know originally so like Dave the distributist does like these hour long epic you know uh, pieces and he's great at it and you know he, he makes the joke all the time you know Bre he'll never be accused of brevity but but with good reason he has a lot of excellent things to say I have a very different writing style you know I throw javelins more than I than I kind of wax eloquent and and which is probably why I lend myself to Twitter more. And so my video essays were usually in the 10-ish to 15-minute you know, mark, though oh, sometimes sorry. they'd go larger, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and so most of them now just end up being pieces that I'm also writing, you know, for, for the Blaze or other, other outlets. But originally I didn't have a blog. I didn't have a place. YouTube was basically the place I wrote. I didn't even write scripts. I just kind of had notes because I was used to being a teacher. I delivered lectures, and so I, I was just doing my videos off notes that that's kind of what I was doing originally. But then I had to start turning everything into written uh, long form stuff because people wanted to, to actually uh, see it and that kind of stuff. And so now it kind of does both. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think uh, you, you have a, so many different, like you have all different levels of buy-in, you know, you have like really short things and you have really long things. And I think it's great. I, I love your long stuff when it's just you talking for like a long time. I think that that's uh, my, my favorite. And also the distributors, the that distributors is, uh, I think it's like three hours long intro to Curtis Yarvin or intro to Neo reaction is like one of the best things you can do. That gives you absolute total understanding of like everything that's going on in our space. I feel like. Um, yeah, no, that, that video is a classic. It's the first yeah. I've got a I've got a uh, NRX uh, kind of explained uh, 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 playlist, which is like my most watched playlist, and that's just the first one at the top. Is <laughs> yeah. just you know because you you want to you want to get it like there you go. <laughs> yeah, you got it. That's like it, totally. That's like uh, the the mandatory viewing for like everything. So the one that you just did, it was about Trump. What was this forty five minute thing you just did? I somehow like I didn't think we were going to talk um, about this, so I I'm not sorry. Out. I'm not sure which one. I I now do quite a few episodes it's a, you, every you week. Published, oh yeah, is Trump dictatorship inevitable? Oh was, yes, that was yes. this one, and it was also a podcast. Yeah, I like to I like to read through the articles of the other side because yeah. I like one of the things I like to do is understand the rhetoric, understand like what's being memed into reality. A lot of times we uh, rightly, you know, we, we're we're 
politics guys were deeply interested in that kind of thing. And so people get stuck in platforms and policy prescriptions and that kind of stuff. You know, what what's moving through the Senate today? What's going to be the next? And that just matters way less than the way that the press is talking about you. Like that that's going to impact your life way more. That's going to impact your relationships way more. That's going to impact what's going to happen next uh, when it comes to the way federal agencies are going to treat you. Like that that discussion and that that dissecting that language, I think, is just way more useful than getting the nuances of whatever piece of you know uh, policy is is coming down the pipeline. Not that those things don't matter, but but I, that that's what I like to focus on. I feel like that that's where my strength lies is picking apart that language. And so there's just this insane series of uh, of articles over at the Washington Post, I believe it was, about kind of the, the dangers of what could happen when Trump becomes presidency. And their latest one was, you know, that the Trump di dictatorship is inevitable. You know, they're declaring that there's just there's no way you can avoid it. It's obvious that Trump is going to beat Joe Biden. It's obvious that when he becomes the new president, he'll just declare himself dictator. <laughs> and here are all the ways he's going to do it. And it's fascinating because I, I I truly believe that most of these people believe what they're saying. Uh, you know, they they really do see themselves in this scenario, and understandably so. Because here's the thing: they look at us and they're like, "Well, of course they're obviously at least as evil as we are, right?" And so so if they get power, they're going to do the things we're already doing. And so the whole article is just them complaining about Trump might start doing the stuff they've been doing. To yeah, the right time, right, right, right. Exactly. exactly, exactly. Well, it doesn't help though. To be fair, that we talk about Red Caesar all the time, and that we're Yarvin fans. I mean, it does. I'm sure that that doesn't help because then they go back and they're like, they want a monarch. You know, they, like that's it, they must have that in their head at some. But it's, but here's the best thing is they don't even mention that. Like that isn't right. actually part of of their uh of their kind of way they're understanding this they really are just projecting everything it would make perfect sense like you said for them to look at like the things that are percolating in the online right and the and the way that language is being used and that kind of thing but they don't even do that because they don't even have a theory of mind of their opponent they, they really can't imagine looking at another side and trying to understand the way they think about things there has been an article or two about the scary you know mastermind courtesy arvin behind you know, but yeah. but for the most part, when they're imagining the terrible things that Trump is going to do, it's just him being them. Like, that's the worst thing they can imagine <laughs> is if the Republicans wake up and start acting like they do. Yeah, I think that that's very true. And and that's that is, uh, you know, the critique of Yar Yarvinism in, in a nutshell, really. Uh, yeah. And I think it's great that you explore the link. That's a very propaganda related thing. So that's very much my beat is exploring the ways that they frame things. And, you know, they have to also provide this like hamster bedding for their people to, if Trump wins, they have to start conditioning them to deal with like how that is going to be, right? And to be paranoid that it's going to be a dictatorship for another four years or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, one think, of the yeah. I was just going to say, like, one of the things you learn working in media is how much of uh, what is being written is laying the groundwork for the next thing. It's yeah. it's preparing the the runway for the next step and then the, the you know the next part of the thing. And so, yeah, you you really there there are multiple stories written over and over and over again. Prepare the psyche of the average MSNBC viewer, New York Times reader, and things 
for like the next course of action they'll need to take. That's the thing is is a lot of people think that this stuff is just flicked on and off like a light switch. It's like, no, there, there's a large amount of this that builds and it builds naturally. Part of it is them driving their audience a particular direction, but part of it is also them just exploring their own yes. ideas and kind of, yeah. again, just the memeing of themselves into particular positions. They the trial balloons. They run mm. trial balloons all the time, and you and and you see them do it, and they A B test. They're masters of the A B test, and that's why somebody like something like George Floyd, that you know, people say there's so many conspiracy theories, and there's so many things that people say about it. Blah blah blah. That was just something that sold. You know, they found it. It was so hor horrific in the mind of the projecting liberal who's thinking that there's police running around killing black people for fun all the time, right? Like they they think that that's what's happening in their head. And then so they see that image and they just fucking juiced it for everything they had. You know, it was the perfect piece of propaganda that was just, it, you know, it was delivered to them pretty much. You know, they were, they were an opportunist. They don't create it. They just A, B test and they see what they see what, like, uh, you know, the thread of the sweater that starts pulling it apart. Like, that's the one that they pick. But they're testing these things all the time and waiting to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, my, you know, it's funny because uh, people forget the scenario where all this happened. Like, Trump uh, was writing a record economy, right? Like, like the economy was booming. And I remember my wife, distinctly, my wife asking, like, is Trump going to get reelected? Like, so many people hate him. Like, he's an incumbent president with a booming economy. Nobody loses an election this way. Like, like incumbent presidents almost never lose. And the only reason they lose is that the economy sucks. You know, and this is what happened with, uh, you know, George Bush Sr. You know, this is uh, what happens. Yeah, Carter with Reagan coming in. Like, that that's the only way this happens. So, yeah, like, there is just, I told her specifically, it was like, there would have to be the black swan event <laughs> of all black swan events. Yeah, and then, right. you know, COVID and George Bush <laughs> just like, why did you bring this upon us? Like, what did you, like, why did you have to speak that into existence? But, but that really is true. Like, these guys were looking for any way to derail what was an inevitable Trump re-election. And they got a one-two punch they were looking they for. Like, got it. Yeah, they got yeah. they got really lucky with two things right in a row. I mean, mostly COVID, though, right? I mean, because that allowed them to change all the rules, pretty much. And that's why they were able to do it. If they hadn't been able to change all the voting rules, they wouldn't have been able to pull it off just with George Floyd. Well, they get that's the key about keeping the wheels spinning. Like, don't get me wrong. They, they didn't just get lucky. Like, COVID was massaged into a very particular narrative yeah. to enable... The changing of voting to enable to enable uh you know the exercise of power the hollowing out of the middle class you know uh, wealth redistribution that all set them up then for this ability to inject this broad violence without people re resisting because they've already been cowed into sitting in their homes like these things they work together it's in tandem it's not just that they plan all these things in the conspiracy and it's not just that all these things randomly happen it's that these guys are working with events because they already have the machinery in place. Yeah. The narrative uh, machinery is already spinning. And then once events roll into the shop, they can massage them, move everything along with the agenda and step to the next thing. Yeah. It, it, and they're ready with all kinds of things. Like I remember nobody talks about this, but do you, when the morning of it's like this thing like got totally memory hold, but on the morning of uh, the abortion decision, right? So they got the leak, which allowed them to prepare. So they got the leak. And then the morning the actual decision came out, I turned on NPR just because I wanted it 
you know, bask in the coping and, and seething. And they played that morning like an eight minute song by some famous pop star. I wish I could remember the name, but like not Megan the Stallion, but like somebody kind of vaguely more like crunchy hippie, you know, artist. And it was an anthem about we will not go back. Like we will not go back. And it was like an eight minute long, like, like protest anthem that they just had ready to go, you know, by right. some like pop star. Yeah. And like, I was like, holy shit, they've been like working on this for six months. They just, of course, like push it out the morning of, but it didn't catch on. Right. Like I think they wanted it to catch on, but it didn't really, uh, you know, it just didn't work. So they just kind of let that one go. You know. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the fire hose, right? Like they control all of the propaganda coming out. They yeah. control all of the mass communication. And like you said, like you said, it's a bunch of A/B testing. It's okay. Is this one going to pick up? Is that one going to pick up? Right. It's all going to be our stuff. Like you're, you're you know, it's, you're going to be playing our song, but it might be A and it might be B, but it's right. going to be the song that came out of you know. And and so that's kind of the way that they do this is is if one of these things doesn't capture the imagination, you just wait because, you know, eight minutes later, someone else doing cocaine or crack is 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 uh, is knocked out by a police officer, and then you can run them instead. Like, maybe it won't be George. Maybe it'll be the next guy. One of these videos will go viral eventually, you know. And, and, and I, my favorite thing is just like, and, you know, ever since Biden got elected, that problem just went away. It was, it was one every uh, four or five days, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> right, for, right. for the entire summer of love. Uh, and yeah. now just no black people are ever touched by police officers. <laughs> and so we don't have to worry about that ever again. That was an amazing yeah, transformation. What happened to, it, totally. Ahmaud Arbery. And, you know, like write their names, say their names, you know, the names. We haven't gotten a new name. Where's all the names? You know, Kiana Taylor. What happened with that? That's so true. Um, okay. Let's, I don't want to waste all our time here, but uh, what I wanted to talk to you about is your new latest piece about Bud Light. And this is obviously something that I have written quite a bit about. I am absolutely fascinated by woke marketing and why it happens and why it happened. And of course, Bud Light is the best example. So you have a piece that you just published called Don't End the Bud Light Boycott. Um, and at first, I had skimmed the article, and I, of course, was completely on board. I agree with you. I, I definitely don't want to let them off the hook for this. But after going into it a little bit, I sort of want to push back on some of the things you said, or at least like maybe just try to explain why I think maybe this is what you actually want it to be, more so than you're saying. So you say here in, in this piece, Bud Light, okay. Carlson claimed that, so, okay, after Bud Light, we all know what happened. They put the transgender person on the on the can. Uh, people mocked it. They completely stopped buying Bud Light. Um, you call it a boycott. I don't call it a boycott because I don't think it was really a boycott. It was more of like a purchase decision, moment decision thing. Uh, that's not really that important, though. It, it was all the same phenomenon. And then, like, last week, suddenly, it comes out that Bud Light gave two big critics of Bud Light after the trans thing, Kid Rock, who like shot up a case of Bud afterwards, and Dana White, who I think switched away from Bud after it happened. Or um, And basically Bud Light paid them both, both off to say to the American people, oh, it's time to forgive Bud Light. Like they're on our side. They, they gave UFC a hundred million dollars on the Dana White side. And who knows what they gave Kid Rock, but it's obvious that they did something. Uh, so you say they both appeared on Tucker Carlson and it's very funny because in the first few like 
in the first minute of both of these videos, they get on the record and they say it's time to forgive Bud Light in different ways, right? No, I mean, Tucker's got the question loaded for both he, of them. They're like, already for yeah. Right. So what we're seeing is very classic, a very classic propaganda initiative, right? Where everybody's getting paid, everybody's making money, and they're all getting the message across that they want to get across, right? So you claim, you say here, <clears throat> Carlson claimed that Anheuser-Busch had effectively apologized by handing the UFC $100 million, and that seemed like a win. I'm a fan of Carlson's work, but with all due respect, that is not an apology or a victory. If buying Dana White and Kid Rock is all it takes to end the most effective boycott in conservative history, then conservatives deserve to lose. So, yeah, tell us why you said that and, and what you think. So uh, I think that it's a couple things going on here. First, I remember I've, you know, my, my parents are Christian conservatives, evangelicals. I remember all these boycotts that came down the line. We're boycotting Disney. We're boycotting this. We're boycotting that. None of them ever worked. You know, right. Johnson and Boycott Johnson. Gillette. Like, Boycott yeah, Gillette. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like all of these. And uh, to be fair, like my, my buddy academic agent has made a, a good video about why boycotting many of these uh, companies is impossible because they own such a massive amount of the market that uh, you, anything you think you're switching to, you can't actually switch. So that's one aspect of why this worked is because beer is something you can actually switch uh, relatively easy in a purchase decision um, there, there are non-connected companies uh, that, that you can move to relatively easy. But the big reason this one stuck, that all the other ones, when all the other ones didn't, is this became a cultural phenomenon. It became, like I said, the, the fact that your buddy next to you would make fun of you for ordering the beer is what mattered. It, it isn't the... It isn't the decision, uh, you know, the moralistic decision of a bunch of people to not engage with the company that they find reprehensible that worked. It was the fact that it became socially coded as enemy. That's what actually made this boycott work, whether you want to call it a boycott or whatever. But, you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so they took a serious hit, not because like everybody on the conservatives or everybody in the working middle class decided that Budweiser was an evil company, but because they decided that they were the trans company and they didn't want to be like identified as that at the bar, right? Like that, that's what happened there. And so this gave the boycott like a staying power that just didn't exist otherwise. And that had put them in a really bad situation. And so I think the key here, and I, I outlawed out, uh, I did a video laying out the four conditions I thought were necessary for victory if you were actually going to allow Budweiser to come back. I wasn't looking for the company to be burned to the ground, though there's nothing wrong with sending a message, okay? Like, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with liberals finding learning learning that there is a, a company destroying level of damage they can do to themselves. So there is value simply in burning it down to burn it down, which is something that, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson and Dana White and, and uh, Kid Rock said explicitly wasn't worth it. No, we're we're conservatives. We don't do that. We, no, we we absolutely should. But uh, but more importantly, the key for this was that you needed to make sure that you had substantive change at the level of the company, not just a not just a I'm sorry. We were though they never did that. They, they never, never did apologize. apologize. That's true. But no. your four conditions, you don't have apology in your four conditions. To be mm -hmm. fair, those are not the important ones. The apology is important, <laughs> but that's not the structural change. Yeah, you know, the, I want to see I want to see enemies fired. I want to see friends hired. I want to see money to my patronage network. And I want to make sure HR is teaching them to never mess with us again. Like that's what happens when the left wins. When the left wins, the people who transgress the left's taboo get fired. The company scrambled to hire a bunch of people 
who are on the side of, of the left to show visibly that they support the people that they transgress. They pay, you know, the college fund for two spirit, you know, uh, non-gender conforming, whatever, uh, you know, they pay that organization $10 million to make sure that little two spirit, non-conforming gender children can have, you know, uh, uh, college scholarships. And then importantly, they make sure that they code into the DNA of their company. We don't talk to people like this. We don't mess with them. We don't cross the line because we know that there's a serious problem if we do. And that's what Budweiser never did. There's never a point where they came out and put themselves on the friend side of the distinction. They continued to placate the left. They refused to say, hey, we realize you're our customer base. You're the people we should be serving. And we're going to go out of our way to show you that this is the kind of people we want to support. They never did that. They refused to do that. They started running more commercials with pickup trucks and fewer commercials with, you know, uh, with drag queens in them. But they, there was never that shift in the actual structure of the company and, of course, never the apology anyway. And so that's what I was saying is, is yes, you could say, people could say, oh, well, but they paid off some people that are kind of conservative, you know, Kid Rock and Daniel White, they're, they're more conservative. That's an amazing moment, by the way, that to, to tell my, my mother, you know, you know, Kid Rock, the, the guy, you know, that people were blaring out of their the car in high school is, is now a conservative standard bearer. <laughs> but like, right. you know, that, that the, they are in our patronage network. And so therefore there's a condition man. It's like, okay, I still don't think that comes close because these people are just celebrity advertisers they're not people who are part of your movement. They're not structural uh, change. That that that's it's not patronage being paid in. It's going to uh, independent people who are making lots of money off of it. But fine, even if you want to count that, we're still missing three conditions. And so this is that may be a necessary one, but it is not sufficient. Okay, so so first of all, explain what I have done a, quite a bit of work on the patronage stuff too. I actually first heard about patronage from bog beef who i had mm -hmm. on my mm -hmm. uh, podcast he's done great work on that he's he's amazing but say what you mean by a patronage network so a patronage network is someone who is a is a network of people or organizations that implicitly support your side of things so for instance the educational system in the united states acts as a massive patronage network for the left for several reasons first it of course indoctrinates children, everyone is mandatorily required to send their kid to a left-wing seminary. That's the first thing, and that's what people focus on, but that's not even the most important thing. The most important thing is it employs millions of people who have to be leftists. They go to leftist educational schools, they come out and they join leftist uh, teacher unions, they have to teach leftist bromides in class, they have to indoctrinate kids, They, they, they everything about them is implicitly coded left-wing, and their entire existence is built on this patronage network. So if it goes away, their livelihood goes away. Not just their ideology, not just the things they like to vote for, but their paychecks go away. Their retirements go away. That is a, a weapon that is very powerful in politics, having that direct patronage relationship. You don't get to feed your kids. You don't make the mortgage unless you continue to support us. And yeah. so if, if so if for the right, to have a similar network, we don't have those kind of vast networks yet. 
but we do have at least organizations that could be coded in that in that way and that's the kind of stuff that you need to see supported well and <clears throat> the part that the conservatives have been so bad about is understanding how this all roots back to the corporation and the brand and that's where the spark of the patronage network comes from i mean there's <laughs> there's the donor class of course and conservatives are hyper aware of the donor class for some reason i think cuz a lot of them are are academics but there's also the corporate class and that's the part that really we don't have and it's why we are so much less well funded than the other patronage network we basically don't even have a patronage network right yeah i mean when little. when nike gives 40 million dollars to blm we think oh that's that's that money just goes to, you know, support. Where do you think that money goes? It goes right back into shoes. It goes right back. And I mean, they're sharing the money. They This is right. if you read Propaganda by Bernays, I try and paraphrase what he's making the same point in the book over and over and over again, which is that uh, propaganda is not messaging. It's not like a poster. It's not a phrase. It is a group of private entities that get together to create this sort of disinterested uh, fiasco or like moment in culture, and they all make money on it. So, you know, they say, oh, uh, you know, um, bacon is good for you. You know, just using a using an example that comes from some academic who's done research and is then hired by national pig farmers. Then you get the doctors on board to tell you that, you know, it's actually good for you. Then the media comes on, pig, et cetera, you know, pig brand A pays them a hundred million dollars for advertising. Everybody in this circle makes money, right? They're all making money on this idea that suddenly pig lard is good for you. And so many of the things we have in American culture that we think of as like authentic, real things are actually a result of that kind of propaganda, right? And even things that aren't that obvious, like I was at the store the other day and I got a balsamic vinegar. I'm just like getting the low, cheapest balsamic vinegar at Whole Foods. I take it home and I kind of look at it and I, I, I like look at the bottle and it says Stonewall Kitchen on it. And I'm like, wait a second. And then you Google it, Stonewall family of brands, legal seafood, Napa Valley Natural, Stonewall Kitchen, Vermont Coffee, Village Candle. All of those are owned by like a gay rights organization called Stonewall yeah. Kitchen. And so every single dollar you're spending on your effing balsamic vinegar is going to pride events, you know, and it's just like people do not understand this. And particularly on the right, they don't understand this. So that's what, uh, you know, a patronage network means. Uh, and I completely agree with you that uh, this needs to this needs to happen. But I guess the, the way that I would push back on you on this. So you're saying again, you're saying that during the boycott, you want four conditions so that we would forgive Bud Light, right? Mm -hmm. Enemies are fired. Friends are hired. The company donates money to your patronage network, and then HR trains employees to never cross you again. I would argue we have three of the four here, right? Okay. Because enemies are fired. We did get Alyssa Hayner Schneid. She was the, the you know the the heinous uh, Longhouse Harridan behind the main thing. Her boss also got fired, so they both got let go, right? Friends are hired. I think we can view a hundred million dollars to, I mean, first mm -hmm. of all, they did nope. bring in some new executives, right? Can't, and can't then, double, can't double dip there. You can't double dip. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to hold you on that one. I'll, right. I'll give you, you, I'll give you one 
I'll give you three. I'm not giving you two. <laughs> okay, so no two because no friends hired. Yeah. But what about Kid Rock? Because he's not a friend, right? So, so friends hired. So to be clear, what friends hired means, friend hired doesn't mean the same thing as the patronage network. Yeah. The patronage network is a payment out to show your contrition. The so so let let's let's um. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Let's divide yeah. these into like categories. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, fr- so, enemies fired is a particular uh, punitive. Okay, these are the people who transgress the taboo. They must be purged to show that we uh, that we are regretful and that this will not occur again. The the patronage network is an outward, and here's us supporting you by paying an external force, an external thing. You know, we're mea copa, we're paying BLM, we're paying, you know, the society for two-spirit gender or whatever. Like that, that's what that section is. Okay. The two and four are the structural changes in the company. Two, yeah. friends hired means I am taking someone art artificially elevating them for the sole purpose of showing you that someone inside my company represents your value. Right. right. And that is something that lasts because that is something that is internal to the company and sustains it. Same thing with number four. We're making an internal, a doctrinal change to the way that we treat our employees or the way we treat our customers to show that. So I I think that's why those four exist. They're spread over separate domains that companies capitulate to when they're trying to make this mea culpa. And so that's the kind of thing we're looking for. Right. I, so yeah, I completely agree. I hear what you're saying. Friends are hired. I did get the impression though, when, so when Dana White, you know, he's got this very funny way of putting this, right? So we all know that he just received hundred million dollars. Tucker Carlson also kind of starts pushing back on him a little bit, right? He kind of mm-hmm. says, you know, he says, oh, come on. Are we really, we should be boycotting Bud Light. But Dana White says, uh, uh, trust me, bro. Like, trust me. Like they're more on our side than you think. Like basically he's, he's to me, he's trying to like, say like, look, I've had a personal talk with them and I know that they actually are on our side. Right. Like that's kind of what he's saying. So if that's true, I assume there's gotta be somebody in there that went golfing with Dana and was like, fuck these true, you know, fuck the trannies. Like, I hate this shit. You know, like, like it's not me, you know, I'm not doing this, blah, blah, blah. And, and I would say Dana's probably smart enough to realize, well, okay, you can say that all you want, but I'm not going to believe you. But here's the key to, I think, understanding this. The reason why this was on two bits of Tucker interviews that really didn't need to exist at all is because Tucker knows Bud Light is now going to be a huge advertiser for TCN, right? Oh, yeah. For Which sure. is great. That is great for us, right? I mean, that's yeah. exactly what we want. Sure. So, so again, that is uh, those are closer to the patronage network, but I want to be clear. None of those are patronage network interviews because none of those are those are all uh, businesses. Businesses, right? They don't have they don't have anything to do with making a structural signal that you know we, we are we are for your cause. However, they are good moves. Here's the problem with Dana White: like Dana White does not have this rapport in my community, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm trying to remember because you brought up Bog Beef, and he has the great example that him and Merrick always going after the. Uh, the uh, the black congressman who always delivers for his district that they love so much because he's just like 
the the most epic you know version of um I can't remember who it is also anyway the point is that guy has clout when he comes to that community he says these guys are on my side they listen to him you know why because he's built the community center he's brought the business he made sure things arrive now if Dana White you know makes sure to build the Middle American Farmers Worker Fund to you know if he makes sure to 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 build uh, to to yeah he built the uh, uh or you know sent 50 million of those dollars to the american first funds that's suing against anti-white discrimination okay now dana white has has shown me here's a patronage move i have the clout necessary to speak on the behalf he is now a broker between the conservative community and the forces that would like to make peace with them he hasn't done that Dan White hasn't dropped a cent into the into these communities. And that's the difference is if you have if you have if you want to make these moves through proxies, which you should. This is actually the, the natural way politics should be done. That conservatives don't do it. That's why the Democrats are better at it than us. But the Democrats have specific community minded people who have made specific contributions to particular groups or areas. And they can say, I did this for you. These guys are cool. And yeah. when they come to me and look, yeah, they, they wet their beaks and that's fine. I don't care if Dana White gets to keep half of the money. That's part of the deal. I understand how the patronage system works, but the rest of it has to go. He's got to deliver yeah. if he wants to have that clout. So I hear if what you're saying, the message the cloud, he's trying to send, but he's got to have that connection. That makes a ton of sense. He needs to have the clout to be able to say, look, I got this hundred million. I'm telling you to forgive Bud Light, but here's half of this to, I mean, the, the thing that's tough is it's sensitive, right? Like I understand completely if we're doing the whole, what imagine if it was reversed, like, of course, Bud Light would have no problem giving endless amounts of money to the like chop my dick off foundation. And right. they wouldn't think twice, twice about it. Right. Yes. I mean, like it, it, they, they wouldn't your mind would call them the souls of your country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. It would be completely fine. Whereas here it feels like they would be so appalled to give money to like the Christian farmers of America, right? Like they would, they're, they're terrified of that. Like they couldn't do that, you know? Yes. But that's the problem, right? Yeah, you're hundred percent correct, but yeah. that's what I want. Yeah. Like yeah. I want a company that said that does the same thing and says here, I am going to show you I'm on your side and here's the specific action I am taking, even though, you know, Target's still donating to all of the causes yeah. that it was donating before. And it does it even though it pisses off half their customer base, right? Yeah. Why? Because they're ideologically committed, well, even if they lose money to make that happen. Now, I, I know there's other benefits. We can, we can get into the more complex, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a definitive decision made that identifies them with a particular class, a particular clout level, a particular uh, customer base, and they're making that decision uh, on purpose. Budweiser right. should not get to farm working in middle-class America for cash and then donate that cash to causes that, that the people they farmed it from hate. You have right. to hold these people yeah. accountable enough. I think the part that you're saying is really the key, which is that Dana White does not get to have the clout. He doesn't get to be the community guy that delivers if he doesn't deliver, right? Right. But if he can make it so that UFC and Bud Light 
are supporting the Tucker News Network, that's pretty good, right? Because that may it's not exactly the charity route, right? But I don't think we're gonna get the charity route. I mean, like that we we gotta work up to that. We gotta like it's gonna take some time to get there. I mean, like, first of all, Bud Light's owned by AB InBev. I don't buy huge globalist brands owned by Brazilians. I don't buy that uh, they care about the shift in stock price. Of course, they care about the long-term stock price. They're crazy about stock price, right? That's what they care about more than anything. But they don't care if it goes down for a couple months. In fact, that just allows them to buy more of their own shares. Great. Right. You know, they, they don't care. What they do care about is the revenue numbers. So, you know, I think they lost in a year with the Bud Light thing about 1% of their global revenue, which is actually a lot. You know, that's a lot to scare them. You know, that's that's plenty to really freak them out. And and also to knock Bud Light all the way down from like first to way down on the list of like American beers, which is internally got to be a hugely shameful thing, right? And also, it's a fucking tragedy that AB InBev owns this anyway. I mean, AB, you know, Budweiser was the definition of an American beer who fought against all the uh, like cost cutting sort of consultant class that destroyed every other brand. Brand like it, it was Bud Light, Bud or Budweiser versus Schlitz and like Miller, and they were cutting all the corners. They were fucking with their recipe. They were cheating. They were like hyper fermenting the the stuff. And Anheuser Busch stayed strong because of, you know, Gussie Bush was this like strong American, you know, he owned the Cardinals, you know, he was really like this great American and he refused to mess with the recipe. And then of course, four generations down into like fail son number 50, they sold it, you know? Yeah. So it's already a fucking tragedy um, that this is owned by them already. But I guess what I would say is, don't you think that, um, in the mind of AB InBev, do you think that it's possible that they could be thinking, okay, well, look, we have 80 brands or whatever, however, you know, 20 brands. Does it really matter if we turn Bud Light into like a conservative money operation? <clears throat> do you think they could think that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so... It's possible, but I doubt that's their plan. I, I think they knew Budweiser has a long history. So so there there's a lot of questions about corporate, the, the inevitable, inevitability of co corporate leftism that we kind of have to address here is, is a huge issue. So I think that um, Conquest's laws are correct. And I think that any organization that's not explicitly right-wing will inevitably become left-wing. And that the best way to explain the behavior of bureaucratic organization is that it's owned by a cabal of its enemies. And I think that Budweiser had been drifting left for a long time. They've been doing, it was, they're on their like sixth different pride campaign, you know, for, uh, for their cans and everything. They had been pushing the limits of how much they could get away with, um, you know, basically spitting in the eye of their customer base. They've been doing that for a very long time. And I don't believe for one minute that they have purged that from their organization. And I don't think until they're explicitly and constitutionally a company committed to guarding against that inevitable slide to the left, that they won't just assume that position the minute they think they can get away with it again. 
the the plan here is very obvious. It's to chill out for a couple years until everyone forgets about this, and then slowly part of, uh, start applying pressure leftward again. The minute you've got you know a, a Garth Brooks or a couple other guys who have said, ah, it's fine, it's okay, you know, or you know, like they're they're gonna go back to this unless a specific structural change occurs that that creates a situation where they're gonna be held accountable, and. So there's a couple things here. The first is like, is there value in just teaching conservatives that they have market power? Like that they can actually win, that they can actually hold a company accountable. Like would burning a company to the ground be worth it just for that? And the answer is yes, 100%. In fact, that's probably the best outcome. Like I'll take I'll take a a, a a Budweiser that shows you its belly and uh, you know and becomes your pet. I'll take conservative Budweiser, but that's not even the best outcome. The best outcome is that a multinational corporation is destroyed by this. Now I know that's probably not going to happen, but that is actually the best outcome because that sends a message that terrifies other companies. You have to comply with these people. You don't have an option. They can destroy you. That would be the best case scenario. So that in and of itself would be enough. But if you're not going to get that, like, or if that's not a realistic goal, and at some point you have to make a, you know amends with the fact that, like, okay, well, at least we could get a permanent gain from this. Teach teach conservatives what a real win looks like, as opposed to not even a not even an apology. You know, not even an apology. A company so unwilling to even to even give you the worthless thing that does nothing. Uh, that they certainly aren't going to give you the structural things that actually make lasting change. Uh, teach them that they actually have to stick to their guns long enough to get at least that level of capitulation. I, I am thinking not about this specific case, but about the long term, like what does this case study do for the conservative mindset, the ability of Republicans, the ability of a conservative media sphere to compel behavior. And I think that having that uh, as your understanding is much better than simply thinking about like, well, can we kind of say that some of these things might be a win? Like, no, I want to crush my enemies. I want to see them. Yeah. I want them driven before me like that. You got to have that mentality because the left does, and this is why they win and you've got to have it. So, okay. I'm going to force you in an ultimatum and then I promise I'll stop prodding you on this. <laughs> uh, so choose one mm -hmm. destruction of Budweiser or the 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 success of TCN, right? Of Tucker News Network. Destruction of Budweiser. Okay, you'd down. rather that. You'd rather take the head yes. and then move on, make yes. sure that they know that we can take the heads Yes. and then start anew later on. I, so dig, it. Tucker, I dig it. No, I can get well, down with that. I can th there's a number down. of reasons. Like Tucker's incredibly talented he's going to be an impactful be player fine, no right? matter where he is. Yeah. And, and so whether or not his news network becomes like, the next big thing, or if he ends up having to like join another organization, he's still going to have a serious impact on the movement. He's always going to be a player. Right. I would much rather have the long-term structural win of, you know, it, it, there's always just the chance that Tucker becomes the vice president anyway. So, you know, that, that, that could be a win all by itself. All right. Fair enough. No, I, okay. I think you've convinced me there. I would much rather. Yeah. I think the power of killing something like that would be good. I just think again, like that kind of does come back to the fact that it's not really a boycott. It's more of just like a, 
discussed by the consumer, you know, at the, at the moment of conversion. So in, you know, in marketing, oh, that's have, way better. That, that's yeah. so much better than a boycott. Right. Exactly. It was, we have the funnel. Have you heard of the marketing funnel? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it goes from awareness to conversion and conversion is the moment of purchase. And it's like, I think the reason why this was so successful is it was a conversion problem because you had Bud, the guys in the store, he's a construction worker. You know, he's flipping through TikTok. He's flipping through Twitter, whatever. You know, he's getting his information in these new ways, right? Not from TV. And he's getting, you know, he's in friends or texting him. And, you know, he gets to the store. He's got Bud Light, Miller Light, and Coors Light in front of him. You know, he needs, all you need is the slightest reason to not mm -hmm. buy the Bud Light, you know? Uh, and so that's, yeah. that's all we need, yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well, before you go, let's talk a little bit about, so again, we're talking about brands. You have great ads on your show at the blaze for, I'm assuming these are all based products. You have first cup coffee. I saw you had magic spoon treats. Uh, there's all these kind of cool brands that you're advertising on your show. So can you talk a little bit about how that's going? Are you launching these brands? Are these all based brands? How does that work? Yeah, it's been weird because this is just not something I, you know, it's, I'm totally, this is all totally foreign to me. And so there's a mixture of different things. I mean, a number of these companies um, had, I, I don't know if there's like a switch that hits once you get so many subscribers on YouTube or something. I don't know. But like, I had just started to get some of those emails of, hey, we'd like to, you know, uh, to, to get placed. And of course, uh, you know, the larger media companies are very used to this. For me, it's jarring to have like a ad in a video. If you listen to talk radio, it's, you know, 30 minutes of ads and 30 minutes of talk if, if you're lucky. And when you look at uh, even these large podcasts, uh, you know, um, the Daily Wires and the Blazes and others, you know, there, there there's several different ads, you know, uh, inside each one of those. So, so it was odd for me to kind of adjust to that many of these were companies that specifically pursued um you know relationships you know hey we saw your lurk and we like it we want to support it places like isi um and uh, like the job stacking program like these are people yeah. who were fans of the work and they wanted to support it specifically some of them are ones that already have uh relationships with the blaze and uh you know so they're they're more base brands that are just willing to kind of uh, oh, you got a new show? Well, we love supporting The Blaze and your audience loves our stuff. And so we're aligned and we're going to join them. A few of them, like the Magic Spoon and, and you know, stuff like that, they're they're the ones that just kind of go with every the left, right, center. They don't care. They just kind of do a spread shot. Like, you're, you know, the audibles of the world, you know, your podcast hit X number of listeners are getting an audible ad. That's just how it works. And so it, it kind of depends. You know, obviously when it's different for conservative or, you know, uh, uh, for right-wing brands because they have, to, the left can say pretty much anything and still get ads. Like no one's, no one's pulling their ads off of basically yeah. any leftist. You could literally uh, say, I want to kill white people. And they yeah, will and still have it. That might get you biased. more advertisers. Like yeah, that's, yeah. That, you know, <laughs> they can, they do, and they get rewarded for it. <laughs> As where the right has to constantly be yeah. worried about advertisements yeah. getting pulled. So having that stable of like kind of aligned advertisers really matters. I mean, you'll always have a couple magic spoon type companies that are just, oh, we don't care. We're just advertising with everybody. Uh, and that's great. You know, you need those just, you know, to, to keep the, the wheels turning. 
Uh, but it's it's good to have that stable of advertisers that are that are on your side. But I mean, the Blazes also made some big moves recently. They just you know they had the advertisements on the news website, and you know we've all been to conservative news websites. You can barely read the article because you're you know looking through like you know toenail fungus removal cream yeah, or something as so that. Are, yeah, it's so bad, and you know, and they're just and the and they were constantly having to be worried about what they ran because you know one thing you know because they they sell these things in ad blocks and people would you know one of the advertisers in the ad block would advertise and then the whole thing has to get pulled down off the article and everything and so they just went with pure subscribers they're like okay we're just going to make most of the content you know outside of paywall but we'll paywall some stuff and we're just hoping that people will reward us for you know uh for putting out the content and that allows us to run all kinds of stuff and They've run a lot of exclusive J6 stuff. You know, one of the guys is actually getting indicted for, you know, his reporting. Um, yeah, that, I saw that. You know, and, and so it's, you know, that's, but that's the kind of thing they can do because they're not beholden to random company who's going to get one phone call from, you know, a random woke guy and, and come and pull the advertisement. So it, it's a, it's a mix of the different companies, but it, it's been a, it's been an interesting experience, something I was not, uh, you know, very aware of. So is the blaze handling all that for you or are you handling, is there, is that you? Oh, it's a mixture, you know, they, yeah. you know, they're, yeah, it's, it's a, it's of course, you know, they're running things by you and, you know, sometimes people will come to you specifically with things and, you know, it, it's a mixture for sure. Okay. And is the, I mean, maybe this is too personal a question, but I'm just trying to understand how, are, is the deal with them that you guys are like, do you share in that? It depends on the it depends on the contract. Yeah. There's yeah d different contracts for different creators and that kind of thing. But yeah, got it. okay. Um, so have you been approached by any big brands yet? I mean, this is the question. It, or is have you and and Audible for example? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it really depends on uh, what you mean by big big brand. Like I like said, the woke other... global, you know, like globalist brands. Uh, I mean, not really. I, again. Uh, some well, I guess Magic Spoon again is one they'll advertise on big leftist stuff. They'll advertise on, you know, on everything. I think Manscaping is another one that's oh, just yeah, like they just do like yeah. the 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 wide shot. You know, okay, we're doing a new campaign. Everybody who has a podcast gets an ad. Everybody on YouTube. So I've had a couple of those uh, where where it's again it's just those massive scatter shot brands that you know the minute they they roll something out they just book an ad on everything that they can find. Um, but, but not too many. Those are, those are the, the only two I can think of that I think were probably like that wide spread type advertising. So do you see, I mean, do you see a future in which there are, you know, I, I've worked with Hestia cigarettes, I've worked with Masa chips, you know, and, and they're varying degrees of based and not based and everything like that. I mean, are, are you seeing a parallel economy developing with based brands that are feeding based media or do you think that we'll have yeah i mean is that how you're kind of seeing it go it's interesting so uh i think that there is a probably a mainstream conservative version of this you know there there's these mainstream conservative companies that feed mainstream conservative um Yes, like Black uh, Rifle Coffee, which we don't yeah, like, right? Screw yeah, it. but 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 better ones, you know. There 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 are ones that you know are not as as cringe as Black Rifle, those kind of things. Yeah. Um. That that do do that, but I don't see this as much with the dissident. Um. And there's a couple reasons for that. I think properly first, a lot of the dissident brands are really small and they just don't have that kind of advertising budget. 
Um, but also I think there's a disconnect between some of the like more dissident right um um community and like the need for understanding patronage. You know, a lot of them just want all the content for for free. They don't want any commercials on anything. They don't want to, you know, and, and I get it. Like it's, you know, you don't have a lot of money. You're, you know, you're not working a job where you've got a ton of money to throw at things. We're still all, one of the problems is that the community is so spread out that there isn't this notion of like, I'm handing my money to the guy down the street. And so it's okay if I pay a few dollars more because that money's not going to like, bank of america it's going to my local whatever it's not going to walmart it's going to my local you know grocery store if those even exist anymore but you know what i mean like there's a i will specifically go to a local bookstore i like or a local you know store i like just because even though i'm going to pay five ten dollars more for the product that money is being spent in my community because we don't have that geographic location like i'm not looking in the eye and being like well, I spent money on the Carousel podcast, and so I know that Isaac's kids are going to eat better because I, you know, I I put my uh, advertising money there. There's not quite that connection yet, and that's a that's a huge shame because I think that is something that builds a patronage network when you have that connection between content creators um, of all stripes and the 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 you know brands that would like to advertise to those communities. I think there needs to be, I think we are seeing that it's good to see passage prize and others kind of start weaving some of that together, but I, I would encourage, you know, people on, you know, and I, and I'll, I'm going to take a hit like on this. Cause it's just gonna be like, Oh sure. She'll guy, she'll, 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 but whatever you we're on the marketing podcast. Right. So let's yeah. talk marketing. Like if you guys are serious and you actually want to run with the big dogs and you actually are interested in breaking this out, you got to put your money where your mouth is. You know, you got to support these people when they do something. When I ask for a book and Imperium Press puts it out, I buy it. You know, I don't be like, oh, I wish someone would make a Joseph de Maestra. I wish someone would put on a, a hard print of, of Nick Land. And then they do it. And I'm just like, well, I mean, I can just get on the Internet, so I'm not going to bother. No, I spend the money because that's what I wanted. And they provided it. And they're, you know, they're putting those kind of things out. So if a podcast is is talking to the audience that you want to garner su support from go advertise with them and if you're listening to a podcast and they run a, a minute-long commercial for one of these base companies tell them thanks don't complain about the ad like tell yeah, them, do you get hey, a lot but, of that i mean yeah but whatever like I, I again i expect this i get it i i moved to a larger platform I, you know it, you're gonna get that stuff whatever oh so but, you have like your old fans coming to you and being like what the hell you didn't used to have ads uh, not that often but i'm just telling people like like I, i'm i'm trying to speak to the community that would that's watching this right like if you're serious about this like m you know encourage people to make those moves tell them you're excited about them like like yeah, the, the the fact that they are collecting money from based companies is a positive yes. thing. That is a step in the right direction. Don't see this. Don't give me the, the you know punk rock sellout. Every ah uh, one song's on the radio. You're dead to me. It's like no, your song is on the radio. That's huge. You know, treat it that way. Don't 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 you know get get angry and small about every one of these things. And people just need to understand that their alternatives is literally feeding the globalist beast that is trying to kill you yeah. or supporting, you know, Hestia cigarettes. It's like people, th there's so many little, uh, 
narcissism of small differences like oh you shouldn't be you know saying this and it's like i've seen these companies internally these guys who are starting these base brands are genuinely fighting the good fight like on the ground floor and it's like yeah you gotta be open to playing ball with them because the other alternative is you go to the store and you buy the gay balsamic vinegar you know i mean it's like you you have to learn how to, how to play ball I own basedbox.com, by the way, because I've been like trying to think of how to do this for, for so long. Um, yeah, I think that uh, at the same time, though, it's like, you know, I've, it's funny to me how willing people are to subscribe to like a, an individual on Substack and not willing to subscribe to like a media company. Yeah, right. Well, it and, yeah. and to be fair, like, I totally get that. And I'm glad that there's direct ways to do that. Like, I am glad, you know, buddies of mine like uh, Morgoth, who wouldn't be able to otherwise, you know, uh, kind of set that kind of thing up, Substack, Subscribestar, those direct, the direct ability support. Like, that's really important. But I remember that transition that Lotus Eaters went through, where, like, you know, Ooh. Carl... Lotus Eaters, Carl oh, Lotus Benjamin's Eaters. platform. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like Carl had always prided himself on never doing ads. You know, I, I, he never did ads on his videos. He never did ads on those things. But eventually, YouTube demonetized, and there, there just was no other way to kind of make money and make enough money to keep the platform going. And I'm glad that he didn't decide to just like fold the whole thing up because he was just never going to run ads. You know, he realized like this is. This is just a part of the business model, and you know that that's something that you're you're gonna have to embrace. I would prefer, you know, I get it. I would prefer, you know, that direct one-on-one. -on -one, okay, I'm I'm donating to Substack, even though your money's still going to Stripe. Don't you know, in other places yeah. like that. Don't don't think you're just paying your creators. You're paying what companies through that too. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would I understand why people prefer that direct um, kind of patronage rather than uh, filtering it through advertisers. I'm just well, saying. Yeah. If you're interested in in a based economy, realize that means everything that comes with an economy. It's not just, you know, sending five bucks to your favorite guy. Yeah, well, you can't people think that you can separate the Alex Jones from the crazy supplement, you know, and you mm. can't separate those two things. People, it's the same thing, you know, that it's, you know, I was talking to the, one of the guys who started Vice the other day and he was like, do you know what all those crazy early videos were of like some random dude going to some random place that were so great? None of those were like assigned pieces. Those were all media sales guys who, if you sold like three months of advertising in, you got to just do an episode wherever you wanted to go. <laughs> so like, that's why those were so good because it was like, there was like a sales incentive, you know I mean? And I think that that's the part, I mean, what what's Hollywood learning right now? They all shifted over to this subscription method and they're learning that the money is just not there. All that advertising money is gone. You know, so yeah. much value that was in the system is gone. You know, Substack, I always say this, Substack makes a year revenue 17 million. That's fuck nothing. That's so little money. You, Twitter, even after half the advertisers left, makes 2 billion. You know, it's like the, the advertising in the system is part of the system. You have to have it in there. It's just, there's no way to avoid it. And I think- that that's what we're learning. And that's what's so great about the blaze because you guys aren't doing the toenail fungus stuff, you know, now. like <laughs> right, you're right. doing like these cool brands that you're advertising for, which are, it's so much better. And I think it just makes the quality like way better of, of what you're doing, you know?
Yeah, again, it's not it's not my favorite aspect of the business. I don't think it's anyone every, any content creators like, oh boy, I get to do ads. You know, I don't think that's anyone's. But it is genuinely nice. Like you know, the coffee company I'm you know, I just started putting up there. Like I I advertise it because I genuinely like their company. I'm I'm, I'm adding another subscription. They're not paying me. Like I I just would I just prefer the coffee that they're sending you know out to to something else, and I'd rather make sure that my money goes you know, to them, to then some random, you know, uh, coffee company off a of Walmart shelf or something. So, right. you know, it, it is nice to have that. But, but yeah, like I said, I don't think anyone like sets out to be like, Oh boy, like <laughs> ad reads what, what I got into this to do. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I'm, I'm a believer in the power of advertising. You know, I love just do it. I love most interesting man in the world. I think that, you know, advertising can be just as beautiful and powerful uh, as content itself, uh, if you have the right people making it, you know, I, I really think that it can stand for really good, like powerful things, uh, depending on, you know, the circumstance and it can stand for hideous, horrible things, you yeah, know, where we have a billboard with, you know, literally in LA with like, you know, scars, breast scars, you know, in the middle of town square, it's, it's horrifying. Um, okay, before you go, last question. I just want to ask this final. I wanted to talk about Ballot Battlestar Galactica because you were on last things uh, yeah. talking about it, which was great. But I don't think we have time for that. Um, I mean, but... Battlestar is the one thing you'll make sure to keep. I, I could I could talk about Battlestar. All, all right, bit, let's yeah. talk about Battlestar. <laughs> but... Talk about Battlestar. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I you know, I loved it, but I don't remember it very well is the problem. I mean, I was completely obsessed with that first season, too. And I'm not a sci I'm not a Star Trek guy, not a sci fi guy. But you chose it for last things is uh, film festival. So why? Uh, I chose it because I think there's a lot of based lessons in there. Um, a lot of people will focus, and rightly so. I mean, it is certainly um, it is certainly not just like a purely right wing show. Like it, 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 but but the reality of uh, kind of the necessity of survival and the struggle therein means that so many hard lessons are just inherently right-wing, like so many truths about that are right-wing. And also, I think it's one of the rare sci-fi shows that actually displays like real military uh, structure. Like you watch Star Trek or any of those things. And yeah, technically people have ranks or whatever. Someone's a captain, someone's a lieutenant, but that almost never matters. They're, they're all just, you know, ph liberal philosophers, why, you know, waxing on about whatever everyone's, uh, really well put together. Everyone's the best of the best. The Starship yeah. Enterprise is is the United Nations of uh, you know United Colors of Benetton. You know <laughs> all, all of those things. The the Battlestar is uh, the worst of the worst. Like everyone there is only there because their their uh, careers were blown out. Like the only reason the ship is saved is that it doesn't have the technology that allows the robots to take it over right. and destroy it. And so everyone on there is just like a complete burnout. Yeah. But also like the 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 real military aspect matters. Like the chain of command matters. People are dying. Decisions are being made right away. Like, uh, you know, they don't sleep for days on end and, and mistakes are made and, and, you know, people are taken out. They have to decide whether or not to blow up a civilian ship and a thousand people die to save the you know the, the the fleet like these are real decisions they're not star trek decisions and, and as somebody again who who's very familiar with with uh, kind of the military just because the way i grew up it was nice to see that aspect like actually portrayed and not just liberal mouthpieces that happen to have a rank stapled to their collar yeah totally i think i remember that it felt very like organized and definitely a little bit based so why did you not join the military if you don't mind me asking 
Uh, well, so I um, ended up uh, getting a scholarship, uh, Army scholarship uh, to uh, college. Uh, and then 9-11 happened and they decided they had to like rearrange all of their funding. So they needed to pull like, like two thirds of their scholarships or something. Um, and so I show up for my first uh, semester and you have to like get all the qualifications done. And uh, I maxed the PT test on pushups and sit-ups alone. Uh, but I am terrible at running. I am just a horrific runner. Uh, and so even though, or I, sorry, I didn't max the PT test, but I, I got the required score. It's like two out of 300 or whatever, like just on those because I maxed the other two divisions. But my my run time was off by like 10 seconds. And Oof. they're like, that's enough. Like we got to We got we got to cut every every scholarship we had because I had it to a private school. It was like a like it was like a two hundred thousand dollars. Like you know, oh, so wow. it's not. Yeah, it was it was like a full ride to the private or whatever. And so they're like, oh, that's a uh, something we can cut out of the budget. And so like that, you know, I saw I ended up uh, you know going back home and you know just going to a community college for a little bit to kind of recoup. And so that that's kind of where I had planned to go in the military. I'd gotten the scholarship. It had been all of my friends ended up going to Afghanistan and Iraq. So you know, uh, might have literally dodged a bullet in that scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's kind of how that unfolded. Well, this is your hero's journey. I mean, this is why you're here probably. So thank God. I mean, it's bad, but it's also thank God for that 10 seconds. Um, would that have been different now? Did they change it? Is it easier now? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure I would have. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, they might have been a white guy. I don't know. Maybe we had a few seconds, but, (laughs) but yeah, I'm probably, it probably would have been different. I mean, it's interesting because I ended up going into political science because I was just getting a degree in second lieutenant. I didn't have any, you know, my buddy got a, it was, was in the political science major. I was like, that sounds fine. And that's what I set up for. I did not go into college with the understanding of studying politics. Uh, and so that's like another, you know, consequence of, of me doing that is I, I ended up in the political science track, even though I had no, you know, no inclination to like, you know, be in politics or run, you know, as a politician or anything. So I ended up learning a lot about it accidentally, you know, and I just stuck with a degree, uh, when, when, even though I was no longer uh, doing the military thing. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with, this will be the last question. What do you think is going to happen with military recruiting? Did you see that PSYOP, that crazy PSYOP uh, thing that came out a little while ago? You'll have to be more specific, man. That's that's, sci- that's a called, daily occurrence. It was literally an army ad that was called like PSYOP. I wrote oh, okay. no, I don't think I did. PSYWAR. PSYWAR. I mean, I, I didn't see that ad, but but to uh to the military recruitment, like obviously they seriously damaged something in the mechanism. Like yeah. they, you know, they purged um the military during uh kind of the COVID thing. And uh, they they thought they were very smart by getting all the all the guys out who voted for Trump and and you know might be right wing they Persian conservative and that's that's the kind of move you make when you're planning to kind of use the military against uh, against those people. So I understand kind of why they did that, but they also tried to continue their foreign policy adventurism simultaneously, forgetting that like the vast majority of the frontline guys for the military are like from Appalachia and Texas. They're yeah. not from chicago and so like purging all those guys out of your ranks actually makes your ability to to be effective uh war fighter pretty pretty bad uh so, so they're, they're kind of desperate but yeah what's I, I don't happen know. with that are they I mean, they'll, gonna... they'll probably try to dial it back they're obviously already allowing people who who dodged the vax to come back but the question is like who's stupid enough to do this at this point you know i've got a lot of 
friends who were in law enforcement who phased out. I got a lot of friends who were in military phased out and they're not going back because they know like you you can you can do you might catch some young guys with the advertisements and the signing bonuses, but anybody who's actually been in knows where all this is heading and none of yeah. them are interested in being under arms with these people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this this ad came out like maybe a year ago or less and it was uh it was very incel friendly. It was clearly like inspired by the Joker. And it was like for the psychological operations unit or whatever. Uh, and I think what happened behind the scenes is the Joker, they knew they were having a crisis. The Joker thing blew up and they hired some actually really great branding agency behind the scenes to make this brand video for them called like Psy War. And you just know it's dangling out there for like the 4chan kids to join up. And then Psy War actually means like, you know, writing woke recruitment pamphlets. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not actually really Cywar, you know? But clearly, I, I took that as an indication that they were, like, starting to panic because nobody was uh, signing up. So, I mean, you said they all know where it's going to head. Where is it going to head? I mean, it's very clear that for at least a decade, probably more, that the military has been choosing people for the color of their skin and their willingness to like um you know swallow regime propaganda as opposed to their effectiveness and so most of these guys have their have units or you know that that are now run by basically hr consultants and wow. and, and and that kind of thing like they you know my my buddy was getting these kind of uh trainings 10 years ago you know and 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 all of their units are less effective all of them uh, are far more likely to get someone killed. They all know they're being de their their next deployment is not going to be like to defend American freedom. They all know it's going to be to advance, you know, uh, trans rights in Uganda or something. And, and they're just like, I don't want to be involved with this. I mean, same thing with the with the cops. Like, uh, what person in their right I mind know. is is going to get paid sixty grand a uh, year to like get yeah. lynched in front of the the media the minute that they try to do their job and the guy that they arrest happens to be the wrong colors yeah. right because you know right. that everyone involved is going to sacrifice you you know this they, they've explicitly basically told you that and you're just waiting to find out if it's your number that's going to get called yeah no i that's the cop i can't imagine like what person would be a cop it's so crazy yeah my cousin's a chicago cop and like you know, she's always been hyper based, was based before anybody because she just was seeing it on the front lines, you know. Yeah. And uh, I just can't imagine that anybody would be a cop or go in the military. You're totally right. I tried to be a JAG. I, you know, I went to law school and I like showed up to the JAG meeting and I was like, I'm 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 good doing it. And they were just like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> they, well, you did it in the wrong law order. Law. My, my dad got uh, he, my dad went to law school on the Air Force's dime. They trained uh, him to be a JAG. So he yeah. got paid to go to to go to law school. So, yeah, um, yeah. that would have been the, the good move. Um, yeah. OK, well, thank you so much, Oren. Uh, yeah, I really love this conversation. And um, yeah, I mean, of course, I'll put all the links, not that you need it, but I'll, I'll put all the links in the uh, in the description. And, and what I would say to my people is, yeah, buy the brands, buy the brands that Oren is talking about on his show. You know, like if you need coffee, just go buy the coffee that he's talking about, because this is how the patronage system works. You know, this is what we got to get going. I mean, it would be cool if some of these, I think, as you said, we got to get more of these brands to make some kind of commitment to the American farm. You know, like like you're saying, like, can they make some sort of commitment to some sort of 
American manufacturing charity or something? Yeah, I mean that that needs to be part of it. And that that's that's been the difficulty is a lot of people, of course, think that the brands are aligned, but then they find out that that's not the case. You know, like yeah. you said, the black rifle stuff and like and so that's the thing is I look, I totally get it. I totally understand people who are wary. I, I say this all the time. It's like I get you know, you you've been subverted and lied to and yeah. slapped a million times, and you don't want to trust anybody. And I understand, man. Like I get it, but like at some point, you know, you got to put your foot out the door, you know, or you're never, you're never going to win anything. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I would just say, you know, you know, do your research, but, but at the same time, I would also encourage a lot of these base guys, you know, look, look at a podcast like Isaac's, you know, look, look for those kinds of places to, you know, kind of sell your wares, make that something that people know you're supporting because that way, you know, you've got a better relationships. Yeah. Definitely. Also, I mean, this, the conservative stuff, ideally, in my vision of it, should be better. You know, the, literally the product should be, you know, it's like masa chips are made with beef tallow instead of disgusting seed oils. And I think that, that we have a huge chance on the right to make better products from sort of mm -hmm. a libertarian point of view. And I think if we can make the products more beautiful and the branding, uh, that's just a huge opportunity we have. Well, that also elevates your social clout, right? That, that also... It, it it codes for a different class. Like, yeah, you're spending a couple extra dollars on your coffee and a couple extra dollars on your chips and a couple of extra dollars on your cigarettes. But, you know, you're a guy with nicer clothes and better coffee and, yeah. you know, better health and those kind of things because you're, and, and those are things that are going to code the space as not just a bunch of kind of, we're selling the lowest common denominator stuff we happen to, you know, smack right-wing labels on, but we're actually selling- yes. A, a lifestyle that is better because it is aligned with these. Yeah. It's a higher class thing. We, we, right. we like classiness is, yeah, has an opportunity to like shift right now, especially from like a body, like a, you know, like the kind of Gwyneth Paltrow goop types. Like we want them to all be like, you know, buying masa chips and stuff because, yep. you know, I mean, is there a better metaphor for globalism than seed oils, right? It's just this disgusting lowest quality thing that is like, you know, making people gay and, it, but everybody it's in every single thing at the grocery store because it's cheap, you know? Um, so yeah, we have a whole, uh, range and it's also like, um, they, did you see the meme today that was like Hitler iceberg and on, on his head was, oh, like beautiful things or something. Yeah. yeah it was like beautiful, uh, beautiful things are good or, or no, no, like, yeah. uh, ugly things are evil. And right. like, if you believe that, then Hitler is, is waiting for you. It's like, dude, people are going to not stop wanting beautiful things. That's never going to stop. So if the left won't give it to them, hey, we definitely should, you know, and we, we have such a chance to. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Oren. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, stay in touch, man. I, I love what you're doing. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.